This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia. Fijians, we have the Mbure, uh, we have the Samoan Fale, and I know in Palau they have the Pai, uh, the men's house. And then also in New Caledonia, they have the New Caledonia hut, uh, which is kind of round and it's got a um, sculpture right in the middle. I think those who have done research on architecture, they've seen that the ones from the western side of Fiji has similarity with those from New Caledonia. And if you look at the map, we are just neighbors, right, to New Caledonia. So it makes sense that there would have been some transfer of knowledge from our neighboring islands. Home is more than four walls and a roof. And in the case of the Samoan Fale, it's more like no walls and a huge thatched dome. But it's what happens inside the home that makes it special. And all across the Pacific, you see sophisticated designs that reflect cultural protocols and family structures. I'm Sayuli Salamasina von Reiki, and this is Culture Compass the show about survival, revival, and connection throughout the Pacific. We've got our own master builders and architects who hold the knowledge of these ancient construction industries. But slowly, they're being replaced by cheaper materials and imported designs. So, how can we keep the look and feel of our towns as they were, whilst making sure they're up to modern living standards? Fijian archaeologist Dr. Tarisi Vunidilo loves seeing bure, traditional Fijian houses, when she travels around the islands. But it's becoming less common to see them in bigger cities and villages. The houses where I was surrounded with was uh, more the use of the corrugated iron. Uh, some were wooden, uh, some were also concrete. Um, so those were the usual homes eh, that I was familiar with. Uh, and even though I was born and raised in Suva, my parents always take us to the island, you know, at the end of the year during the school holidays to visit my grandfather who was uh, still alive at that time. So even the home in Kandavu, uh, the island where I'm from, uh, they were also modern, using modern materials. But my grandfather's house that my dad built, he was a carpenter, my father, Navitale Sorov. He's still alive today, and I'm sure if he listens to this story, I just want to greet him and say hi, Bula. Um, so he built my father's, uh, my grandfather's house, and it was made of concrete. So those were the houses I was familiar with. What are the common construction materials used in a traditional Fijian house? Mm-hmm. So what they normally do back in the day is that they use the materials that uh, are around them. The ones in the highlands, they have a lot of access to bamboo. So they use a lot of the bamboos to actually, you know, make the house. In the other parts of Fiji, they use reeds. And usually the framework is, you know, the use of hardwood or, uh, you know, the woods that are there. But it's actually the material outside that varies. And also the shape varies too, uh, which was quite interesting for um, Fijian architecture. So if you look at some of the, uh, you know, pictures of old uh, back in the day, the shapes actually determine where you're from. 
So when you see some homes, um, you'll notice that uh, if you look at one, uh, you'll notice straight away, oh, you know, this is uh, a house from uh, the western side of Fiji. There's one called uh, uh, Rausina. So this is from the western province of Fiji. Uh, or in English, uh, it's some normally called like the center pole houses. And it's, it looks really, really interesting because the dome is right in the middle and then it's kind of circular around it. So whenever you see that picture, you look straight away, oh, this is from the western side of Fiji. The craftsmanship is beautiful. You might understand that when you're building the the bure, um, the house that you just explained, they don't have any nails. That's right. Ah, okay. Absolutely. They don't have nails. So they use the afa or the mangi-mangi to, you know, join every, you know, wood inside. So it's really amazing to see that. In Hawaii, I was fortunate to uh, to visit the Polynesian Cultural Center, uh, where I was able to see the different architecture from different parts of the Pacific uh, and seeing, the, you know, the Hawaiian hale um, and looking at the Fijian bure. Uh, it was just lovely, you know, to see and celebrate, you know, craftsmanship. Um, I wish in Hawaii they would have more. Um, and I believe, you know, now that we've gone past COVID-19, I hope that, uh, you know, when tourism builds up again uh, to what it was, maybe if uh, Hawaiians are listening to this uh, talk story, then maybe they can be encouraged to start building, uh, rebuilding some of the hale uh, that is so unique as well for Hawaii. So when you're talking about the mangi-mangi or the afa, the woven cord that holds the houses together. Can you explain how that's made? Yes. So the mangi mangi, it's also like a, a specialized role of those who make it. Uh, it requires a lot of patience and a lot of sitting down. And uh, uh, the interesting thing about it, most of the stories I've heard uh, with my travels around Fiji and those that I've witnessed, um, most of the afa or the mangi mangi are made by men. So uh, it's made from a special type of coconut. Um, it's, uh, you know, as you realize, you know, there's many species of coconuts, uh, but this is just one specific one and it's huge. It's, it's big. What they often do is they also put it in the um. So, so there's a lot of science behind it. And that's why for, uh, for a little while now, I've been so fascinated with uh, ethnobotany because our ancestors, they knew exactly, you know, which tree and which coconut species for them to actually um, pick for the afa because it needs more length and it has to be strong. And so uh, the mangi-mangi is made from this specific uh, coconut and the fruit and the actual husk. And they actually um, uh, cook it in the umu. Just an explainer, an umu is kind of like an oven built with hot stones that sits above the ground. Back to Dr. Vunidelo. After it's brought out and then it's um, pulled apart, you know, into uh, little pieces and then it's twined, you know. And so it requires for the man to be sitting and then they put it on top of their lap and then they roll. You know, they start to roll and then it just, they keep joining as they go, you know. And after watching them, I have to say it's so therapeutic because you just see them. There's no element of them looking at the time, you know, saying I have to be somewhere now. You know, it's like they're just sitting there and they know my role is to finish these rolls or how length. I don't know how many meters I have to finish in a day. But that's exactly, you know, what their uh, role is all about. So a little bit of activity for them from harvesting, you know, to the umu and for them to 
make it, you know, take it out into little pieces and then rejoining it to make the rock. It always fascinated me as a little girl. I remember sitting there talking to an old uncle and all mm. he was doing was just rubbing it on his knee, on his yes. uh, rubbing it and weaving it and just patiently answering any question I had, but he just never stopped. The rhythm never, never stopped. I still remember that. Oh, I'm so happy you have it too. <laughs> and seeing the different structures from different parts of Fiji, so mm. the the builders would have been specialized if you're coming from the western side, the builders, can they come and build the same sort of type of house in the eastern part? They were specialized in the homes of where they're from. I'm sure the men from that province will be more familiar with the ones that they've been taught. Um, you know, ever since they were growing up. So it seems like, which is beauty about this, is the, the architecture and the style and the builder's knowledge was regionalized and uh, the knowledge was kept within those spaces. Why I asked that question was if I was from the western side and I married somebody in the eastern side and I'd be like so homesick for my home, I'd say to my eastern side family, please build me a house from the western side of Fiji. <laughs> I'm so homesick. I want my own type of house. So you would have to ask somebody from the western side to come across and build me a house from my home village. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that way, <laughs> you know, you can bring, you know, two yeah. groups of people together so you can have a nice family reunion. <laughs> but what kind of environmental factors do they have to withstand? They have, you know, over the years have, uh, you know, adapted to environmental changes and to their circumstances. And um, back then, you know, even looking at li uh, linguistics, um, there are words for hurricane, you know, uh, what's that, twisters or the tornadoes, you know, tokabuki, they call it, you know, that is to do with the, the, the wind, eh? the strong gust of wind. So, that means that, you know, they've created all these words to do with climate. So they knew that these climates were affecting them too. You know, some of the stories we've heard from our, you know, those have been recorded over the centuries is that they, you know, once the cyclone comes, they damage the house, they just build another one or they repair the thatch. And the thing is about traditional more, uh, or the Fijian houses, um, they were very adapted to the climate. So the wind actually blow through the house. You know, it's just amazing, you know, how they build these houses that can withstand the bad climate or bad weather they would face back then. Another feature I noticed with uh, our houses, according to my grandmother and my mom, you know, hearing these stories, is that a lot of the homes was uh, during the hot day, it's cold, it's cool. And during the cold weather or the cold months, they actually, it's called irara in Fijian. So they actually create a fire uh, inside the home to create warmth in the home. And I'm thinking, wow, I'd love to live in that um, bure. And the bure, is it, is it enclosed or are there blinds on the sides that you can lift up? Our bure has uh, doors, so it's open. Uh, there's a lower end of the house that only... Um, those of lower rank or those who are visiting. So our houses are also uh, has protocols. Um, the owners of the house, they can enter from the side or those of high rank, but the lower end uh, that faces the kitchen, that's where all the, the guests uh, enter. 
So it's just wonderful to see. Yeah. So we have doors. Uh, I don't think they had windows. I don't think some of the photos I just saw just had windows, but it's enclosed, but it only have doors. Thank you so much for clarifying that. Because now I understand when I went to Fiji, I entered through the kitchen side of the house. So it's yes. very different so- to where we come from as well. So I'm really happy you said that. <laughs> How's Fijian architecture different to other islands of the Pacific? Like, say, where you're staying now, where you live now in Hawaii, mm. compared to the traditional Hawaiian houses? How do, does it compare to the Fijian bure? Yes, I think um, I think I'll be biased. I can say ours is so beautiful, <laughs> uh, but that doesn't mean you know uh, they're all beautiful to me. You know, I know uh, Fijians. We have the bure, uh, we have the Samoan fale, and I know in Palau they have the bai, uh, the man's house, and then also in New Caledonia they have the New Caledonia hut, uh, which is kind of round and it's got a. Um, sculpture right in the middle. I think those who have done research on architecture, they've seen that the ones from the western side of Fiji has similarity with those from New Caledonia. And if you look at the map, we are just neighbors, right, to New Caledonia. So it makes sense that there would have been some transfer of knowledge from our neighboring islands. Yeah, it's something to behold, you know. And every time when I look at a Burevakabiti or Walevakabiti, I just... You know, I look at it with so much admiration and I just admire the handiwork of the um, the builders uh, who are so knowledgeable. So these skills of mangi-mangi making, they're still going on today in Fiji? Yes, it's still going on. And fortunately, uh, on the island of Vivia, uh, in Lao as well, and I think there are the other islands as well, like Ono, uh, in Kambara, Fulanga, Namuka, the different islands in uh, Laos, particularly, they're still very uh, much into the making of Mangi And I just want to do a shout out to them, you know, uh, to thank them and encourage them to keep doing what they're doing because it's such a unique uh, material to have. Oh, Vinaka, that's wonderful. How common is the traditional style of architecture in the Fiji of today? It's very uncommon, I must say. We hardly find them around the city. We need to build them more. The only village in Fiji that has all Fijian bure is the village of Navala in the province of Mba. And this village is the only one that has all the Fijian bure inside the village. There's no modern housing in, inside. So they, what I found out from my colleagues who worked in Ba, they said that the village they met and they agreed that all the modern housing will be built outside the village periphery. Inside the village, it's going to be traditional. So if the thatching flies off in one of the um, uh, cyclone, they'll all come back and repair it. And uh, I'm so proud of them. I'm really proud of the people of Navala in Ba. That would be wonderful to see that happen. But would the cost of building also be part of the reason why they're, they're not building so many bures now? In actual fact, it's the opposite. The building of the bure is actually very cheap. Because for us in Fiji, we do a process called sole solebaki. And sole solebaki means working together. So the traditional way of building homes is that when uh, um, a young man you know, gets married, Everybody leaves everything and we all come together and build his house. So a house can be finished in two to three days, you know, in a very short period of time, if they have all the materials there prepared in advance. 
And it's very cheap because they just use the materials around them. So for me, when you compare it to modern day houses, that's the one that is more expensive. So I would rather encourage many of our young men before you have your family, start investing, you know, research how to build your own bure and start building your bure again. It would be so amazing because, you know, it won't cost too much. You know, you don't have to go to the bank and loan, you know, 50 to $100,000 because it's going to be affordable. Samoan architect and lecturer Pesita Lamatone has his own practice in Aotearoa, but grew up in Fales back home in Samoa. There are so many different types of Fale. Some are special meeting houses and others look like a mixture of European and Samoan designs. They're called Fale Palangi. Pesita's passion for our houses stems from his understanding that they're more than just a roof over our heads. So when I studied through architecture, I, I was at the age where I was starting to ask myself, who was I culturally? And when I came through the school, fair to say there wasn't many, there was no Pacific Island academics or architects teaching yet. And I was at the age where I was really starting to take an interest in cultural stuff. And I thought, wow, how would I pass that through the school? So there was a Maori teacher who ended up being my mentor, uh, Riwi Thompson who I could really relate to because what he was saying and what I felt were running parallels, you know, cultural-wise, because obviously we're from the same ancestor, Māori and Samoans. So that really helped me through uh, going through the school, but I had my moments where, you know, I just felt like I wasn't being listened to and it kind of went in one ear and out the other. Can you tell us a bit about the buildings and homes that you grew up in? My parents are migrants from Samoa. They came here in the late 60s. They met in Lautara, South Auckland, and they got married and then uh, had me. So I was born in South Auckland, Lautara, and we grew up in a flat. Um, and the flat was just two, a two bedroom, mum and dad, myself. Now I, I had very bad asthma when I was growing up. But um, I think at the age of four or five, we went for our very first holiday in Samoa and my parents found out that my earways were a little bit more kinder in a tropical climate like Samoa. So I ended up staying there and then they came back here and worked. So I was raised by my grandparents there in the uh, village of Vaimusu, um, where my dad's uh, Ainga is from. So I was there for a few years learning the culture and eating whatever we can find on the trees and, you know, the good old days. Well, I moved back in New Zealand when I was nine, so I spent a fair bit in Samoa. And by that time, I had a brother and a, and a sister. And then we moved back to the flat where mum and dad had been uh, living. But when you were living in Samoa for that, for, you know, the first time you went across and you stayed in Samoa, did you live in a fale or were you living in a European-style house or both? Yeah. No, uh, both, um, yeah. actually, as you know, that um, we've got Fale Balangis in Samoa, which is the European typical rectilinear square floor plan. And then you've got somewhere in the village, uh, or in the in your family sections, you've got the oval, um, you know, the Fale Afolau. And I've stayed in both. And the Fale Afolau, you know, although it started with just an open plan with the post, a lot of our people has kind of also the back, which means, you know, they've extended the back and they might 
bedrooms there or a kitchen, but it's adjoined to the, to the actual structure of the filing. So yeah, it's a nice way of looking at things. So you still keep that open communal space of the folly to receive people. And I think we used it to receive people as well as, um, sleeping. Yeah. I think the folly was probably the most interesting too. Um, even though it's a, the climate was warm, you're able to effectively sleep under the stars. Eh? So it was nice in that way. If you had to explain the folly to someone, how would you describe it? You know, it's a, it's a very loose term at the moment because we can describe fale as anything from a European style house. You can say that that's my fale, which is, you know, that's your poem or that's your fale. Or you can really get technical and academic about it and say that, you know, the fale is this kind of floating, um, roof with all the aesthetics and tectonics of lashings and, um, all this other, the, timber joints and all that sort of stuff that gets celebrated in that structure. But the thing about whale too is, you know, in the typical village layout in Samoa, you've got the whale whomua, and the whale whomua can come in those kind of two forms, plus the whale palangi, which is quite popular. And that whale whomua is obviously where the village council may have their meetings or the family and extended families may have their meetings. They receive and, you know, uh, entertain people in these spaces. So you've got Fali Mamoivaka behind that might be the Fali Mbuka. That's where they prepare food and all that sort of stuff. Then you've got the Fali Yakun Nango, the Fali Uli the Fali Fali Lai from our more you know toilet. So that might be further around the back as well. So you've got all those kind of distinct it's not so much the features but it's it's the scale. So you've got obviously the larger one and the more decorative one is the Fali Karimalo. And then you've got the sleeping Fali, which is, it doesn't have to be that decorative as the Fali for the entertaining guests. I think we have a special connections with our architecture as peoples because, you know, there were two sa or two sacred objects back in ancient Polynesia, and that was your Fali and your Va. Yes, yes, our houses and our va'a, or our canoes, they are so precious to us, and our cultures travel wherever we go. Do you work much with Pacifica communities in Aotearoa? Yeah, so um, going back to finishing here from school in 2008, that was the height of the recession, the global recession, and I couldn't get a job anyway. So I thought, oh, bugger it, I'll try and do it myself. But I've had my company that's still ticking over and I'm doing more consultation work and doing the fun stuff rather than having arguments with councils over building consents and permits and stuff like that. I'm able to do things like the funny that I design and build. And also I'm doing consultation for, um, for a housing group under the government in terms of finding out how, what's a design that will work for our Pacifica people here in Mangari. So being a resident there, I've got first-hand knowledge in how people live and what do they expect from these new houses. I, I'm thinking, when you're saying about building homes for our Pacifica people, all I'm thinking about is big sleeping spaces. You know, as all the cousins get together, it's always good to have a lot of sleeping space. Yeah, we're up against a challenge with um, because the whole world's building upwards, right? I mean, you look at these kind of urban and suburban areas, you know, spaces and that you're losing the one quarter acre lawn space that we're so used to. But now we're kind of living side by side and on top of each other, which sometimes is culturally inappropriate. So how do you find the balance in that? 
Of course, um, buildings in Samoa have changed a lot over time. What do you think about the more modern buildings popping up? Yeah, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's building a law in Savoy. And I said to him, oh, man, it would be really nice if you guys try and go traditional. He said to me, man, it's really expensive. The Tufungas are charging, whereas it will take a while as well. And then you've got the Fasa more stuff overlaid on top of that. Now they've gone to for the Falibalangi, Fakafa, Falikan Manu, because it's faster to build. And the materials are obviously more stronger. And yeah, it's a lot cheaper building straight lines than curved lines. <laughs> So he's gone with that model too. So there's a lot of Whanipalangis as well. And I, sometimes I think it might be a status thing where the families think, okay, well, we've got to move up in the world and we've got to come up with these beautiful, you know, Whanipalangi. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm just biased. We, I love our fighters. I was there in April and I got to see some really beautiful variations of Whanitele and Whanipalangi and Savai. And the families are still holding, embracing that. So, you know, I'm not, putting a damper on the Fag Balangi, I think it's got its uses, but I think on Fag Balangi, we are not going to But the only thing is, it might be the cost to some families as well. It's also more um, relevant to our climate. That's right, yeah. I mean, we've got this big, massive monster that's gaining momentum, and that's climate change, high-rising sea levels. So we're proposing to take some students over to Samoa, and our brief is to try and come up with ways where we can address climate change in the islands. So it might be coming up with different typologies that might address climate change, like heights, high-rising sea levels, flooding, and all that kind of stuff. So get the students to think about these are the real-world issues, and it's even in our backyard. So yeah. if we don't do something or come up with ways to do it, then you know I'm afraid we we're going to end up losing some of our you know, I'm already hearing that some of our Maoko or our Malay formals, you know, some of these might be underwater and these are ancestors connecting through these spaces. So they need to be, we need to really find strategies and ways to overcome all these global world politics and all that kind of stuff. All these changes are coming. Yeah. And, and, you know, the question is, how do we, how do we live with climate change? How do we adapt and how do we address climate change? You've recently visited some of our master builders or our Tufunga Fawfale in Samoa. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about that and what they're doing to teach the next generation? I think, uh, as mentioned, I think there's still a healthy stock of traditional whale in, uh, in Samoa and the knowledge that's still held by those Tufungas. And some of those Tufungas have this attitude where they take that stuff with them to the grave. And it was really encouraging to talk to one of those Tufungas to say that So it was really great to hear that because, you know, some of, and it's not just Tufunga Fawfale, it's also some of these knowledge holders come in the form of orators that hold really great knowledge in their words. And if they don't pass it on, they, you know, they, they take it with them in the next, in the next realm. So. Yeah, it was a humbling experience to talk to them about their views around traditional funding, and these are well-known to follow. They are encouraged to pass it through their own sort of lines, their own family lines, and the next generation of builders would know. But, 
Yeah, I think um, writing about that stuff and letting people know about it, um, I think it, as an academic, is, is a good thing for the next generation to see. It's so important that this knowledge is passed on so we can preserve not only the look of our houses, but also the feel of our communities. Dr. Vonedelo knows that the Fale and the Bureau are so much more than just a place to take shelter from the elements. Oh man, I when I see one Bure, I just smile and I'm so happy to see that I can picture, you know, my ancestors, you know, enjoying life. When I every time I see a Fijian Bure, it gives me peace and serenity. Uh, that's what I'm thinking about. If we are proud of our heritage and if we are proud of our culture, let's start building our Bure again. The structures that we live in have been refined over thousands of years to celebrate and facilitate our cultures and way of life. If we can keep the passion alive for these buildings, we're safe as houses. This is Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia. Culture Compass is hosted by me, Sayuli Salamasina von Reiki. Our ABC Radio Australia executive producer is Falangafulu Inga Stunstner. From Dead Set Studios, our producer is Grace Pashley. And our executive producer is Rachel Fountain. This episode was produced on the lands of the Turrbal, Jagara and Durrambul people. We pay our respects to elders past and present.